if you ask me today for the elder, what is the best recommendation for them is uh, start uh, lifting weight and, tr and try to activate all the muscle in your body as much as you can, because that's the best insurance for you to, to live longer, better. Welcome to Better with Dr. Stephanie. I am your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. This show is for women just like you with a deep desire for learning, self-actualization, and becoming more of who you already are. Every week, we are going to deconstruct how to build better bodies, better minds, better relationships, better sex, and better families. I'll be giving you access to world-class thought leaders to help give you the tools to answer this question. What are the simplest things that you can do today to get better tomorrow? I am part geek, part magic, and want to share the juiciest questions, topics, and often taboo conversations that I think I've always wanted to be a part of and I wanted to be having. So let's get better together. Hello, my geeky friends, and welcome back to another episode of Better with Dr. Stephanie. Tis me, your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. And today I am bringing you a wonderfully geeky conversation with Dr. Gil Blander. He is the founder and CSO of Inside Tracker, which is a personalized health and performance analytic company uh, created by a team of scientists, physicians, nutritionists from MIT, Harvard, and Tufts University. Um, Dr. Gil received his PhD in biology from the Wiseman Institute of Science and undertook post-grad research on aging at MIT in Professor, in, uh, Professor Lenny Garante's lab. He's an expert in nutrition, biomarker analytics, athletic performance, biochemistry, and aging research. So we had such a great conversation today. We spoke about the platform that is Inside Tracker and how that might be different from going to your regular, uh, call it doctor's office for a blood uh, requisition. Uh, we talked about how the data is interpreted, the difference between lab markers that you might get at a, a traditional lab and the Inside Tracker uh, algorithms that separate your age and your gender, which are kind of important rather than being in a big uh, hodgepodge together. Uh, we talked about different specific biomarkers that, uh, you know, this is a typically a female leaning podcast. So we talked about some of the female leaning biomarkers that I really like to track. Specifically, we talked about ferritin. We talked about vitamin D. Uh, we talked about hormones, of course. We talked about glucose, HbA1c, and some of the related issues when those are out of whack. We talked about some other really interesting data around how uh, the individual and not giving, let's say, cookie cutter recommendations um, can lead to um, aberrant results. We also talked about the minimum effective dose for, let's say, running or strength training, or how we can figure out what the perfect amount of cardiovascular work to strength training work to protein intake might be for that individual uh, person. And of course, we talked about this through the lens of Inside Tracker. And I am super honored and excited to be partnering up with them for you. So there is a clickable link for all of our better uh, listeners in the show notes for you to be able to go directly to uh, insidetracker.com and it will automatically take off, um, I believe it's 20% off of the entire store. And I love this because, and we start the conversation off this way, your health is your responsibility. It's not the government's responsibility. It's not even your physician's responsibility. It is absolutely yours. And of course, you know this, we've talked about this before, but this is another tool to empower you to be able to take your health into your own hands, empower yourself, and just be the be biggest, baddest, um, we'll call it Betty, <laughs> the biggest, baddest Betty in town. So without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Gil Blander. I get a lot of questions about how to ease perimenopause and menopause symptoms. And here's a really simple answer for you. Take a good mineral supplement. Your body loses a ton of minerals as you transition through perimenopause and menopause and mineral deficiencies make a lot of the common symptoms worse. For example, if you're struggling with poor sleep, fatigue, joint pain, hot flashes, or any other side effects that are wearing you down, you might think about giving Beam Minerals a try. Their full-spectrum mineral supplement contains every single mineral that you lose during perimenopause and menopause. And there is a meaningful dose here with close to 100% bioavailability. 
All you have to do is take a shot of liquid every morning to replenish your mineral stores and ease the symptoms that you might be experiencing. Beam Minerals just tastes like water and you'll feel the difference within a few days. Head over to beamminerals.com and use the code BETTER for 20% off. Dr. Gil Blander, I am so happy to welcome you to The Better Show. Welcome. Thank you so much. Looking forward uh, to it, uh, Stephanie. Yes, we. Um, I have been working, I've uh, been talking to your team quite a bit, and this is a, a product uh, and a platform that I'm really excited uh, about and I think has the potential to really change the the way that we empower our patients. Uh, one of the things that I talk about often on this podcast is that your health is your responsibility. It's not, it's not the government's responsibility. It's not your doctor's It is absolutely your responsibility. And I think Inside Tracker really aligns beautifully um, with that. And we're going to talk a lot about what that is, uh, what Inside Tracker is in, in just a moment. Um, but I'm, I'm curious before we kind of dive into um, looking at blood markers and looking at, bi- you know, biomarkers for longevity and energy and all of that. Um, it's very, um, we'll say rare uh, to have someone with the type of academic background that you have to leave academia and to move into, we'll say entrepreneurship. So I wondered if you could uh, first just give us a bit of a background in terms of how you got into, you know, the longevity space, the health span space. Um, and then what were some of the defining moments for you where, you know, you may have had mentors or, or what have you and said, I actually want to do instead of you know, maybe staying in research, uh, I want to actually be offering a product to the, to the public. Yeah, it's, it's a very good question. And I think that I have been fortunate enough uh, uh, that from very young age, I knew what I want to do. And uh, currently I have uh, two kids. One, uh, she's a teenager and one that is already in college. And both of them don't know what they want to do. So, so, so it's a, uh, it's unique. It's uh, interesting for me to see that uh, not everyone is like me that knew what he wanted to do from a very, very young age. So actually from the age of 12, I uh, realized that I'm not immortal. And I, uh, I said that I want to understand why do we die? How can we uh, extend the lifespan and the health span? How can we delay the onset of uh, aging related diseases? And that's why I decided to study biology because I realized that uh, in order to do that or to try to understand or to have any intervention, you need to really understand the mechanism. So I study biology uh, in Israel, a PhD from the Weizmann Institute of Science in Israel. And then I moved to Boston, to MIT, and joined one of the best labs that studied aging in the world, the lab of Leninger Rente. Is the uh, scientist that uh, discover uh, CIR2 or CIR1 or sirtuins? I'm sure that a lot of your audience know what is that. It's basically histone uh, uh, deacetylase or protein deacetylase that uh, have been shown to extend lifespan in yeast uh, and worms, and uh, uh, some data show even in uh, in mice. Uh, and uh, uh, David Sinclair, which is a professor at Harvard Medical School, and I know that he visited in your podcast in the past, uh, he showed that uh, actually he identified the resveratrol, which is a uh, small molecules that uh, concentrated in, re- in red wine have been shown to actually activate CIR2 uh, uh, or CIR2. And uh, there is a lot of uh, excitement right now about the NAD analogs because it's uh, actually NAD dependent that satellites. Uh, so, so definitely I was fortunate enough to be involved in a very exciting uh, a, a protein that related to longevity. So I spent uh, uh, five years at the lab of Leninger Rente. And during that time, uh, I became a, a friend with uh, David Sinclair and David Sinclair started uh, uh, his own company uh, Lenny Garanta, which is uh, uh, the professor that I worked uh, for Edison Company, I was looking for a reagent and uh, I realized that only a specific company has it. So I uh, went to that company and said, let's work together. And last but not least, uh, during my study I, uh, at MIT, I uh, looked into skin aging and differentiation. 
So a, a cosmetic company, Estee Lauder, that I'm sure that you heard about and I, your audience heard about, uh, offered me to sponsor my research. So I also had some uh, partnership with uh, Estee Lauder. So all of, all of that uh, uh, explained to me that uh, uh, moving uh, out from the academia to the industry is not uh, something bad to do. It's actually exciting. And uh, I uh, decided after five years at MIT to move to the, to the industry. And I selected to work at a, a computational biology, system biology company. And uh, I saw that it's very exciting domain. And uh, I, I didn't know exactly what I want to do, but I knew that I want to start my own company. So during that time, I worked uh, uh, there on uh, caloric restriction. And I developed a model of caloric restriction based on a uh, all the publicly available data set that uh, were available at that time, looking at RNA changes. And I developed a model for caloric restriction. And uh, when I developed this model, I also decided to use uh, a few controls. So one control was uh, looking at uh, what happened if you compare young versus old mice versus just caloric restricted versus control mice. And another one was, let's look at a uh, resveratrol which we discussed before, which is a small molecule that uh, David Sinclair showed that uh, it's activator of uh, CIRT-1. Um, and I tried to see what are the processes that are modulated by caloric restriction uh, using the uh, platform that I, I used. And I found that uh, around 18 different processes were changing when you compare caloric restricted mice to not caloric restricted mice. Uh, some of them are uh, well-known, inflammation and the uh, insulin pathway and the uh, serotonin pathway and other. Um, but when I looked at the control, what I realized is that uh, the, uh, in the control, the overlay between the processes that are changing in caloric restriction and resveratrol or young versus old weren't completely uh, uh, full. So only around 10 to 20% of the processes that changes in a caloric restriction were mimicked when you treat mice with resveratrol. Or only different 20% were an overlay when you look at young versus old mice. So when I looked at this data, it was uh, very interesting for me to see that uh, even the best caloric restricted mimetic at that time, resveratrol mimic only 10 to 20% of the processes. So then uh, as a scientist, I say, okay, the best one cover 10%, the second one will cover 8%, the next one will cover 7%. So we'll need at least 20 small molecules to actually understand what caloric restriction uh, uh, is doing or mimic it. Uh, and then I said, why should we use a, a small molecules? Let's use the food as a drug of choice. Let's move the, um, uh, the drug cabinet from the, from the bathroom to the refrigerator. We have 6,000 or 8,000 different food items, and the average American in an average week only use 20 of them. So we have a huge universe, and we are using a very small amount of it. So let's first educate our uh, user what kind of food uh, available to them. And second, feed for them the best food that good for them based on what's happening inside the body. Because as you said in the introduction, um, the responsibility of our body is not uh, the responsibility of the physician. It's our responsibility. This is the most sophisticated and complex machine that we have. And we need to know how to feed it, how to fuel it, how to maintain it. And uh, so then we said, okay, but how would we know how a, 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 a Stephanie body is different than Gil body. So we said, okay, let's try to find biomarkers, something that will tell us what are the issues that each person has in a specific moment. And very uh, early and easily, we focus or zoom into blood biomarkers because blood validate and calibrate everything. Uh, blood is something that uh, it's a, a quality of a, a physician level. Our physicians are using blood to make uh, uh, decisions. Also, there is so much data about blood because uh, we study in the scientific community, we study blood for the last uh, 100 years or so. So we have a lot, a lot of information, a lot of peer-reviewed data that telling us uh, what is the zone for each blood biomarker, what are the interventions that uh, can uh, increase or decrease specific blood biomarker, um, what are the uh, specificity for specific uh, uh, subpopulation, male versus females, athletic active versus uh, um, not athletic active, young versus old. So there is a lot of data there that can uh, allow us to understand 
what is the situation of the, our body today? And then when we know that, we can come and say, hey, you have this issue, that issue, that issue. Let's build a plan for you. How can you solve all those, these issues? And we decided that let's do it with a natural and simple intervention. So let's do it with a food supplement exercise and lifestyle changes. So that's basically the, the story of uh, uh, Gil with uh, a bit of uh, the genesis of Isatwaka. Uh, uh, I love that. And I think that you can, uh, to your point, you know, blood is, is scientifically validated, has been studied for, uh, you know, for a very long time. And then if you can replicate the scenario, you know, the, the important thing is, you know, establishing a baseline. So getting some type of measurement, but then the next time that you get that secondary or tertiary measurement to replicate the environment with which you had the baseline. So that might be fasted before 10 AM, let's say. So if you're able to do that over a long, over a, you know, a Delta T over a period of time, then when you're looking at those data points over time, you can start to, you can start to track, you know, trends, whether you're moving in the way that you want or moving away from uh, the way that you want as well. Um, and I wanted to um, maybe talk a little bit about some of the, uh, someone who's listening might say, well, you know, I can go to my allopathic physician for a doc, you know, I can get, you know, a, a, um, a request for uh, blood work, let's say. Um, and I would love for you maybe to um, dive deeper into the difference between, let's say, going to your allopathic, uh, you know, your traditional medical doctor uh, and Insight Tracker. And, you know, I mentioned this to you in the pre-chat, like you start with the same raw material, like we're starting with the blood, but what happens after that is where I think that this gets really interesting. So can you speak to some of the differences between, let's say, going to an allopathic physician, getting a request and then doing it through um, or uploading it, let's say, to Insight Tracker? Yeah, so, so I think that the, the, there is a, a big difference in the high level. So let me start with that. So a phys physician was trained to fix something that is broken, okay? So uh, if uh, someone normal, hopefully all of you normal and not sick, uh, you will go to the physician, will tell you, you are normal, uh, go out and they will kick you out of the room. The, uh, also, the physicians are very busy. Each of the physicians, at least in the U.S., they have 2,000 to 5,000 patients, and they might have 10%, 10 uh, minutes for you every time that you are meeting with them. So they cannot go deep. I think that they have a very good intention, a lot of knowledge, but the way that the system is working, and again, at least in the U.S., is the physicians uh, have been trained to, uh, uh, to fix something that is broken. What we are trying to do is completely the opposite. We are trying to take someone that is not broken and optimize him, making him better, okay? So, so that's the, uh, the first uh, uh, point that I think that's very important because that's the, the definition and the way of viewing of, uh, uh, in, in the case of the physician is the patient, in the case of insert tracker is our user or uh, client. Um, then uh, the, the physician is a, a using a, a pretty limited uh, battery of biomarkers. And again, I'm talking about the U.S. Uh, because it's the that's same in what, Canada. It's the yeah. same, like, I mean, I'm, I you know, I'm based in Canada, but they're one and the same. It's just who yeah. pays is, the, is really the yeah. major difference. Yeah, exactly. So, so in, in the U.S. and sounds like in Canada, uh, there is a very limited amount of blood biomarkers. And the reason for that is the cost. So uh, some of them are, uh, the cost is higher. So they are testing what is a, uh, uh, basically covered by the health insurance. So they, they are looking at a, a, a small amount of biomarkers. I think that they are very good, but they, they are not covering everything. And, the, and another difference is the ranges. So the physician uh, is looking at the normal ranges. And the normal ranges are developed by the lab. And basically, they are looking at, uh, uh, let's say, 10,000 uh, uh, patients of people that uh, have been tested with the lab. And they are building basically the mean and the two standard deviation. And if it's a, 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 and then based on the two standard deviation, they are building the normal range. But the normal range is calculated based on everyone. Healthy, sick, young, old, a, a athletic active or a couch potato, male, female, all of us in one porridge of a, a, a normal range. And what we said that that's, that's, that's okay for uh, the, the distinguish whether you're broken or not, but if you want to be better or to be optimized or to be special, 
it's important to develop a range that we call the optimal range. And the optimal range develop specifically to a subpopulation. So we uh, separate between male and females and do it based on your age and a, a different range sometimes for different ethnicity and different range for a, based on the athletic activity that you do. So uh, one very important point is that uh, the optimal range is very specific for a, a small subpopulation. So it's usually much uh, narrower than the normal range. And if, uh, what is nice that if you are a, a still normal, but out of the optimal range, we can still give you some recommendation. What should you do in order to get into the optimal range? And the rationale is very simple. If you are in the optimal range, you are further away from the normal range, and then you have a better chance to continue to be healthy for a longer time. That's the, that's the rationale for that. Uh, then we have uh, all the recommendations. So as I said before, physician is very busy and basically is a, a, was trained to give you a, the intervention based on the drugs. So the physician will come and say, hey, you have a ILDL, okay, take that. Or you have a, a high glucose, a, a let's give you metformin. What we are doing, we are giving you alternatives. You can definitely treat uh, those issues with drugs, but uh, uh, it will be nicer and maybe better to treat it with natural and simple intervention. So we're giving you option of uh, nutrition. We are giving you option of supplements. We're giving you options of exercise and lifestyle. and uh, so, so that's for a specific blood biomarker, but it's a multifactorial situation because we are testing uh, almost 45 blood biomarkers. So uh, if you want to, uh, let's assume that you have 10 of them that are not uh, optimal, it's starting to be very complex because intervention one can work for a marker one, but intervention two will work for marker two. So we are trying to find the intervention that cover as many biomarkers that are not optimized at once, and also giving you some option. You can do it using food, you can do it using supplement, you can do it using lifestyle or exercise. Some of them are very easy to do. To take supplement is almost as taking the drug. Every evening you pop it into your body and that's it. Changing your nutrition or changing your exercise might be harder and more time consumer or lifestyle is even harder. So we give you an option and uh, you can uh, build a plan that fit for you. And also you can, the plan can be based on your goal. So your goal can be, I want to improve my uh, inner edge or longevity. We can discuss it later. I want to sleep better. I want to work on my overall health. I want to de-stress. And, and when you choose a goal, we are trying to find what are the blood biomarkers that related to this goal and also giving you some goal-specific recommendation that will allow you to optimize it. So those are a few differences between uh, uh, going to the uh, primary care physician versus uh, using InstaTracker. Yeah, and let, I want to. I don't think that most people realize that lab ranges are very much based on the populace, and it's very much location based. So if you are in, you know, the northeast, let's say you're on the east coast, the lab ranges in those labs are going to be different than, let's say, in the Southwest. And then, as you mentioned, those optimized ranges, which are a little tighter um, than, you know, maybe the standard or what they might call normal. Uh, ranges are going to be a little bit tougher and what we've, you know, sort of tougher to get into, we'll say. And what we've, what we've seen over time is as the population in general in, you know, I'll call, I'll say it Western society. So we're not just talking about the United States and Canada. We're talking about like, you know, basically any Westernized society is over time, we have seen you know, obesity, cardiovascular disease, you know, uh, stroke, like all of these sort of lifestyle diseases have gone off the chart and such has been reflected in the lab ranges. So the lab ranges have become, you know, you mentioned two standard deviations. They've become more uh, loose is the, is the word that's coming to my mind, even though that's not the right term, but they've just become, yeah. they've, they have moved in line with the health or lack thereof, of the population. So if you're hitting normal, let's say, if your doctor's like, hey, you know what, no problem, your, your lipids are fine, you know, it's based on how well you're uh, standing up to people today. But if you were to look at lab ranges, let's say, from, you know, the 1980s or the 1970s, they would be very different for the same 
even for the same location. So I, I do like this idea of moving away from normal because, you know, common is not the same as normal. We've said that many times on the podcast before. When your doctor says, oh, your, your labs are normal, what he's or she's really saying is that you are, you are lining up with everybody else in the, in the populace that you live in, in the location that you live in, meaning that you are just like everyone else. It is more commonly, it's more of a common occurrence versus let, let's segregate, as you said, by sex, by age, by some of these different, uh, very important, uh, qualifiers, um, that can now get us a little bit more specific, um, which I really like. The other thing I wanted to mention, and I, st- I see this a lot because I have a lot of female, I, I work a lot with, you know, a female uh, population is they will often tell me, unfortunately to this day, that they have to argue and fight with their primary for labs that let's say are not on a standard test. And that I, that's true in the States. That's true in Canada. And I think part of it is, you know, not because the physician is ill-intended. It's not, you had mentioned them being very busy, you know, having a very large patient load, um, maybe not knowing what to do with it. But I think that the bigger issue is that it doesn't change the standard of care, right? So if you have, let's say, for example, I mean, I hear this all the time, like specifically with thi- like my th- women with hypothyroid and or Hashimoto's, the doctor will not order, let's say, uh, TPOs or like, they won't look at like antibody, like they won't look at the antibody profile, um, of, you know, you know, doing the TPOs or, or TBAGs or whatever, because it doesn't actually change. They're still gonna, they're still gonna recommend Synthroid, you know, whether or not it comes back positive, it doesn't matter. It doesn't change their standard of care. So I think that this is, um, you know, whether you're working with a functional, uh, uh, a medical doctor or, you know, a functional practitioner as a whole. One of the things I love about Inside Tracker is that you can kind of take that argumentative piece out of it, right? So you don't have to like convince your doctor, like why maybe you should be looking at my ferritin. Like, can you please, <laughs> and like, the, and the patient may not know, the patient may not know to advocate for, you know, some of these different biomarkers as well. So this is one of the things that I think is maybe not discussed as often, but at least in the female population that I hear, I hear it enough to know that there's a lot of pushback when a female patient goes to a medical doctor and says, Hey, I'd like my ferritin levels looked at. I'd like my vitamin D levels looked at both of which are not necessarily standard. And the doctor's like, "Eh." you know, like, what are we going to do with that information anyway? It doesn't really matter. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's even more than that. If we were to uh, continue to discuss the issue with females, is that if you look at the, the uh, experiment or the clinical trial in the, in the labs, uh, a lot of those are done on males because uh, males are simpler. <laughs> they, we don't need to deal with the, the cycle, even with a model organism, like with mice. It's much easier to take a male mice than a female mice. Uh, so, so I think that a lot of the data that we have is the data on males. And uh, because of that, we know less about females and it's very hard for uh, for us to, uh, a lot of the drugs that were tested were tested on, you, on uh, males and then they uh, implied on the uh, females. But a lot of those uh, 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 clinical trials haven't been done on uh, females. So I think that it's even more uh, undeserved than uh, what you discussed before. And it's the same for a specific minorities. So uh, most of the trials are done on a white male. And uh, if you look at the... Uh, a female that is black, that then even it's even a further way, or a, yes. a, 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 or a Asian, or a, I don't know, a, a, a Hispanic. So, so I think that uh, there is an uh, issue there. But if we are zooming in into the blood biomarkers, definitely there are a lot of biomarkers that are very important uh, 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 for females. Ferritin is a great example, as you describe it. Uh, ferritin is a marker of a. Uh, uh, the amount of uh, iron that you have in your body that ready to be loaded and uh, uh, build the hemoglobin, which is a, a part of the red blood cells that uh, basically uh, swim into the bloodstream and they're bringing oxygen from the lungs to the muscle and to the brain. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of women have a, a low iron in their blood and they don't know about that. 
So it's bad for your athletic performance, but it's also bad for uh, your performance in the boardroom. Because if you don't have enough oxygen, your brain won't uh, 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 perform as good as it's supposed to do. So, and we see that uh, uh, female, it's, it's not news. You can read the uh, peer-reviewed scientific publication and see that uh, uh, premenopausal women, uh, 20 to 30% of them have a, a, a low ferritin and they don't know about that. And it's so easy to fix it via nutrition, via supplementation, uh, via changing of your exercise regime. There are so many things that you can do, but you don't know. So. If uh, uh, you cannot manage what you, what you not measure, so if you don't know that, it's very hard for you to take care of it. So that's a great example of something that uh, just by testing uh, hemoglobin and ferritin, you can uh, help a lot of uh, young women to perform better. And unfortunately, our health system is not doing it. Yeah, I, I love what you're saying. Um, this is... Ferritin is, is sort of like one of the unsung heroes because not only, you know, all the things that you just said with the, you know, the athletic performance, for example, um, the women with, if you have a thyroid issue, you're, and let's say you're on medication, you're going to have trouble with your dose if your ferritin levels are low. And we, you know, we won't, you know, get into all the gynecological issues that can happen for a woman, you know, her sexual function things like PCOS and fibroids and polyps and endo and all the things that are related, um, to ferritin. And as you were saying, there are things that we can do, um, quite, uh, I mean, you have to be consistent with it, but, you know, as you mentioned with nutrition and eating iron rich foods and, you know, resistance training and things like that, where you're, where you can increase over time, your, um, your, your ferritin levels, which I think is really, really um, important. I think so many women, we just jump to, it must be an estrogen problem. <laughs> it's like, well, maybe mm-hmm. it might be an estrogen problem. Um, but I, you know, and, and the same, I would say the same is true with my women with thyroid issues. It's like, well, it's just my thyroid. It's like maybe, or it could be, that your ferritin levels are are whacked like they need we need to we yeah. need to increase them sodium is an essential nutrient involved in the maintenance of normal cellular balance the regulation of fluid and electrolytes and your blood pressure start your morning right with a refreshing salty tonic of lmnt it's spring season now which means i will be enjoying watermelon or grapefruit salt on ice and it is a fabulous way to balance stress hormones and make sure that i am maximizing my muscle gains Element T also has a no questions asked refund policy. Try watermelon or any flavor that you want. And if you don't like it, they will refund your money. No questions asked. And you don't even need to return the box. Head over to drinklmnt.com forward slash Dr. Estima. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And you will get a free Element T sample pack with any purchase. Um, let's talk about a couple more. Um, I, I would love for you to speak to vitamin D. This is, um, you know, with my, my background. So I have a Mediterranean and a Middle Eastern background as well. So I am, you know, in terms of cousins with you, you know, you're from Israel. I have family from, um, uh, Lebanon, my, uh, genetics, let's say, uh, expect me to be in the sunshine, right? Like <laughs> Lebanon, Israel, these are, you know, countries with great, um, you know, very uh, beautiful climates. And of course, you and I, we live in Boston and we live in Toronto. <laughs> so let's talk about maybe the, uh, the importance of uh, vitamin D in the body generally. And then maybe th- this can sort of parse into a, a discussing about uh, inner age and our, and our genetics as well. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that uh, vitamin D is uh, uh, one of the most important hormones that we have, or vitamins, both vitamin and an hormone. And um, the major role of uh, uh, vitamin D is uh, uh, to help uh, build the bones uh, together with calcium. But there is a lot of data that show that vitamin D uh, have uh, an additional uh, role other than that. Uh, for example, there, there is a strong data that show that a, a correlation between low vitamin D uh, in the blood and the high BMI. So definitely it's related to maintaining your uh, weight and BMI. Uh, there is a, a, a data that show a very strong data, I think, that come, came recently uh, with COVID that showed that a, a, a subpopulation with a, a relatively higher vitamin D are a, a, dealing with COVID much better than the subpopulation that have lower vitamin D. 
definitely there was uh, there were a lot of information uh, about that uh, in the literature about inflammation and all of that um so so the, the vitamin d is definitely uh, very important based on what i said and what i haven't said um the the interesting issue is that uh, as you mentioned we were supposed we were built if we think about ourselves as a machine to work under the sunshine and not under the uh, fluorescent light what we most of us are doing most of our time um and the majority of us have a, a relatively low vitamin d we can uh, see in our database of insta tracker that when a user is coming to us uh, i would say around 50 percent of them have a low vitamin d and they don't know about it um so it's a, a, a very important to know your vitamin D and then to try to uh, use intervention to increase the vitamin D. I can tell you that when I started the Insta Tracker more than a decade ago, not surprisingly, my vitamin D was low. And I said, let's try to fix it naturally. So I hate uh, fish because fatty fish have a, a lot of uh, vitamin D for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Uh, not to say that my house was really stinky because of that, but also <laughs> if, when, you've, when, if you ever figure out how to make fish without making the house stink, I want to know because every time I make it my like for days, it's like, did you have salmon? I'm like, yes, we had it on yeah. Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm trying to grill it outside. Actually, that's the best oh, that's way. Smart, the, actually, that's smart. the best recommendation. It's pretty good to grill it outside. But, but anyway, I tested after a few months and it didn't move the needle at all. So, Specifically for me, I couldn't increase it. Now, if you look at the recommendation for a, a supplementation for a, the RDA, it's around 400 IU uh, uh, in order to uh, to increase it. Or four, yeah. So we, I, I tried that, and again, I tested again and didn't move the needle. I tried 1,000, didn't move the needle, and then I realized after a few trial and error that actually the amount that it's good for me. It's around 5,000 IU every other day to maintain my vitamin D. But it was very hard for me to know that in, uh, if I haven't been tested myself. So that's a, a great example to show how you need to trial and error because our body is so complex and we are so different than uh, one each other that it's, there is no cookie cutter to come and say, hey, take 400 IU, 1,000 IU, 2,000 IU, 5,000 IU a day. It's, it's important to, to take it and then test it and see whether you go to the right range or not. Um, so, yeah, that, that's what I, I, I want to say about vitamin D. And then what we are doing in InstaTracker is we are fitting your vitamin D based on the starting level that you have. I'm talking about the supplementation. And, and based on uh, what we see that is working for you or not. So it, it's, more co it's much more complex to come and say, hey, you have low vitamin D, okay, take the supplement and you are good because sometimes it's not enough and sometimes it's too much. And uh, it's better not to be in, uh, in too much, even so that for vitamin D, it's very hard to be in too much. But for other uh, markers, it's, uh, uh, it's pretty easy and you always want to be in the range that is uh, uh, optimal for you. Yeah. And that's an astute observation. I, I, cause I've had, um, you know, clients who live in Florida, you know, who you are like, oh, you're in a sunny, you know, yeah. you live in a, an environment where you have exposure to a lot of sun and they're vitamin D deficient. And yeah. to your point around, uh, you know, you can't feel, uh, you know, pain is also very nonspecific, but you can't, you can't feel your vitamin D levels increasing or decreasing, you know, in the same way that you can't feel your LDL particle numbers increasing or decreasing. These are things that need to be quantified um, through things like, like blood work. Um, I wanted to just touch on one, uh, one more, which uh, I really uh, talk about a lot uh, on the show and uh, you know, with my uh, physicians that I, that I teach, and that is metabolic markers of health, things like fasting glucose, uh, and HbA1c, which are two of the uh, two of the forty three uh, biomarkers that uh, Inside Tracker uh, looks at, can you speak to the importance of why we want to be looking at HbA1c and what that you know what that's actually looking at, and then speak to glycation? I mean, you mentioned before, you know, I'm not going to talk about the eighteen changes from the resveratrol and the sirtuin activation and, and all of that, but I would I would guess, you know, along with inflammation and oxidative stress and membrane, uh, you know, stability that also things like glycation uh, of, the, um, uh, of, the, of the cell is going to decrease as well when you're doing things like caloric restriction and sirtuin accelerators and activators as well. Yeah, uh, it's, it's a very good question. And I think that uh, 
Uh, if you look at uh, those two markers that you mentioned, glucose and A1C, those are definitely a couple of the most important markers that we have. Um, just a, a, a simple observation that uh, if you look at the lifespan of a diabetic person versus a person that is not diabetic, on average, the lifespan of uh, the diabetic will be around a decade shorter than someone that is not diabetic. A decade. A decade, yeah. So it's, uh, it's uh, pretty big. So the, the, um, so looking at your maintaining your uh, glucose and A1C in the right level for, uh, uh, for your lifespan, and not only when you are old, and it's very similar to what you mentioned about the uh, cholesterol. If I'll go for that for a second, uh, the, the beginning of uh, uh, the issue that uh, you have with your arteries with a deposit of a, a cholesterol or particle, it's not happening uh, at the age of 70. It's starting from the beginning, from the day that you have been born, uh, your body starts to accumulate that. And because of that, it uh, doesn't make sense for you to be worried about uh, LDL or the particle or APOB at the age of 70. You need to be worried of, about that at a very young age. It's like, a, a, I see it as like investing for your retirement, okay? So you invest for your retirement from the age, hopefully, if you're smart, from the age of 18 until the age of uh, 67, and then you start using this money. But if you want to do that for your health, so uh, maintaining your uh, LDL, uh, your particle, uh, your glucose, you will reach to that age sick, and then you won't be able to enjoy the money that you save so hard in your uh, lifespan. So um, going back to uh, glucose and uh, A1C, so if you are looking at glucose, uh, there is a lot of data in the literature that show that uh, there is a, a strong correlation be between having a relatively low glucose in young, younger age and longevity. Okay, so it's a there, there is a data, a very strong data from a Frenningham Heart study that they basically plotted the, the level of your glucose, fasting glucose, in a specific age, and then they plot the longevity. And what they have shown that basically, if at the age of forty you have let's say glucose of below forty, so below eighty versus uh, uh, around 85, versus around 90, versus around 95, versus around 100. And uh, then you look at the longevity, you see that uh, uh, a subpopulation that have the lowest one, let's say below 80, lived much longer on average than a subpopulation that have a higher level at the age of 40. So what does it show us, again, that it's very important to maintain your glucose in a, as lower level as possible from very young age. Now, if we are looking at the, or talking about A1C, so A1C is basically, it's looking at the glucose, but instead of looking at the fasting glucose or the glucose at that second, it's looking at basically the average glucose in the last 90 days. Because uh, our red blood cells are uh, reborn or destroyed every, let's say, 90 to 180 days, or 120 days. So uh, that means that uh, if you look at the A1C, which is basically glycation of the uh, hemoglobin, uh, you can see uh, uh, the trend of how was your glucose, how good you are in the last quarter, let's say. And uh, there is a very nice uh, 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 range that show that if you have this level at a, 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 or below that level or above that level, what is your risk uh, uh, basically to have too high glucose, and in that case, uh, you can uh, get closer to become diabetic. Um, so I think that uh, uh, looking at glucose and maintaining the glucose and the A1C in a good level, and there are so many things that you can do because, uh, as you mentioned uh, uh, in your question, those are metabolic-related uh, uh, markers. So it's the, uh, the sugar metabolism, uh, the cholesterol metabolism, uh, triglyceride is one between, and also inflammation. All of that is so important for uh, maintaining a, a, a good health. And because of that, those are markers. And by the way, those are markers that your physician will look at it all the time. But because of the ranges, as you said, the ranges becoming looser and looser with uh, more and more diabetic and more and more uh, 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 obesity, that uh, most of us will be in the normal range, but 
it's still better to be optimal because then you can delay it and uh, make yourself better. So what we have done at InstaTracker, we, we build something that we call InnerAge, which is a, a basically a solution or a, a feature that look at uh, those metabolic markers, but also other markers, and try to see how do you compare to someone in your age and gender uh, in the markers that either going up or going down during the aging process. So cholesterol is going up, uh, uh, glucose is going up, A1C is going up on average in, uh, in the aging. But marker like testosterone, specifically for males, is going down with aging. Every year that a, a male getting older, there is on average he, he losing one to 2% of his uh, uh, testosterone. So we combine all of that one score that we call it inner age, and then you compo- compare your inner age, your chronological age, and see whether you are younger or older. Hopefully you are younger. Uh, and, but more than that, because we are looking at blood biomarkers, we can come and tell you, hey, your glucose contribute 1.5 years for you to become older. And your uh, LDL cholesterol contribute another 1.5 years. So then you can zoom in into those two markers and come and say, what can I do to change in order to improve those markers? And then we, we can give you um, some uh, intervention related to food, to supplement, to exercise and lifestyle changes. So I think that InnerEdge is a, a, a very nice uh, a feature that allow our users to understand high level what, are, what is the issue. Because as you said, um, there are 43 blood biomarkers for uh, someone that uh, doesn't have, uh, that, that is not doctor like you and me. It's very hard to understand all of them. And, uh, and so then we're giving you one number and then we, can, we allow you to zoom in into the marker that is not optimized and give you some tools how to optimize it and uh, allow you hopefully to live longer, better lives. So that's uh, the mission of InstaTracker. And that's actually one of the things um, I wanted to make sure that we came back around to is the recommendations because we have, you know, you go to the, let's say your physician or whoever draws the blood and then they'll say, yep, you're great. Or, Hey, your cholesterol isn't where it should be. Um, You know, you know what often people will, the recommendation that people hear is like, you should be eating less and exercising more. You know, they don't specifically say, maybe you should be lifting weights more, or maybe you should be, uh, you know, changing your meat consumption, or maybe we need to modulate the saturated fat to, you know, mono on or, or polyunsaturated fat composition of your fat intake. And that's one of the things that I really like about Insight Trackers. Not only tells you, okay, the, here is where you are on the spectrum based on your age and your gender and whatever uh, qualifiers there are. But this is also, if you if you're not optimized, these are the things that you can do. So that you don't need to be, you don't have to have letters behind your name in order to interpret what's happening, that the platform itself, the, the, you know, the algorithm says, okay, the, the, the LDL, let's say the LDLC is too high, uh, or, you know, your vitamin D is too low, or, you know, your glucose is, you know, maybe higher than it should be. And then it tells you, these are some of the things that you can do, which are again, scientifically validated. And, you know, when you retest at that three month or six month point, um, then you can see how well, how much you've moved the needle. Correct. Yes. And, uh, uh, to add to that, we perform a, a, a study on a, around 1,000 subjects that use InstaTracker, and we compare the baseline to the follow-up. Uh, and uh, again, it's observational study, so we haven't told them, okay, uh, you need to test uh, that day and then that day. And uh, we haven't even told them what intervention they should select. They selected intervention uh, out of a battery that we uh, uh, provide them. So we looked at around 1,000 subjects like that. And uh, uh, from that 1,000, we looked at uh, specifically at subpopulation that started with a relatively high glucose or relatively high cholesterol or relatively high inflammation or relatively high vitamin D. And uh, um, then compare the level of those markers for baseline to follow up. What we have seen that a, a, a very strong improvement of those markers from baseline to follow up in that subpopulation that started with high level but we also looked at the intervention that they selected. So those 1,000 people selected 525 different interventions. So it's not like all of them said, okay, we'll eat oatmeal, or all of them said, we'll go for a run. It was really personalized because on average, each person, each intervention was selected by one person, by two, uh, two people. 
So what we have seen again that uh, uh, the approach of uh, insert tracker or what we call personalized uh, wellness or personalized nutrition worked and uh, uh, in the subpopulation that started with uh, uh, markers that are out of the normal, we've seen a very nice improvement of those markers, which is very exciting, uh, at least for me, because it's, uh, it's very uh, rewarding to see that uh, something that you developed uh, is working and the people are... Uh, what is more important than improving the quality of their life? So people are doing it and they, and they really see a positive result. So I'm very encouraged by that. And actually right now we, are a, we have a very big database. We have a, 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 a lot of people that are using InstaTracker and we haven't mentioned that, but it's not only blood. We are now collecting DNA and data from a, a fitness trackers. And we decided to start looking at something very simple like running. Uh, so we realized that we have uh, uh, around 15,000 people on the InstaTracker database that are running. And uh, they're running between uh, uh, no running at all to someone that ran ultra marathon or 100 miles. And then we divide them, uh, uh, to put it simple, to a complete couch potato to someone that runs uh, run 5K to 10K to half a marathon to a marathon and ultra marathon. And then we looked at the effect on blood biomarkers. And what we have seen, which is uh, uh, very interesting, is that uh, there is a dose-dependent effect on the level of uh, dose metabolic marker that you described before. Uh, in you run more, you, you get a better result. What is nice about that, that uh, um, people from the, for definition, we are lazy. So, uh, and also, I'm not sure that uh, most of us can run ultramarathon. So the question is, how, what is the minimum amount of running that I should do in order to get the highest uh, value of the run? So we are looking into that right now and trying to find, okay, is it enough for me to run 5K uh, every other week in order to optimize the glucose or I need to run uh, 5K every day? Uh, so stuff like that. So that's one uh, thing that is uh, very interesting that we are trying to pinpoint and working on. But uh, in addition to that, we've seen that running is not a magic pill. So there are some issues that running actually uh, uh, make it worse. So for example, and not surprisingly, we discuss it, ferritin. So when you run more, uh, you see that uh, the ferritin going higher. When uh, you run more, you see marker like creatine kinase, which is a mass marker of muscle damage going higher. You see cortisol, stress hormone going higher. So what I'm trying to say, there is no magic uh, intervention. Even running, which is amazing, have some... Uh, uh, and negative issues, and I think that people should know about that. So I think that uh, uh, what is nice about InstaTracker is not only the recommendation that we are giving to our user based on a peer-reviewed scientific publication, we also started to create science, and based on that, give a better recommendation for our users, but also for the general humanity by publishing this data and allowing people and our scientists to read it, and then uh, uh, improve their uh, uh, health and uh, life, and I want to say, you mentioned uh, a strength training, and uh, uh, I think that it's almost a magic pill, for, uh, especially for the elderly. So if there is any elderly, elderly, I would say, uh, anyone, I don't want to be mean, but I'm above 50. So everyone above 50 should uh, start uh, um, uh, having some strength training as much as they can. Because as you said, uh, it's so important, and the reason for that is that we are losing muscle. Like we're losing testosterone every year, we're losing muscle every year, and it's much harder for us to build the muscle again. Um, so, and then if you look at the, one of the most uh, uh, prevalent reasons that people are dying is because of a fall. What happened? They are falling down, they break the hip, and then when they break the hip, uh, they have operation, the operation is hard, they, they don't have enough... Uh, a stamina to overcome the, uh, the operation and they are dying. So if you build enough muscles, uh, first, it's and, and also balance, first, there is less reason for you to fall. Second, if you will fall, you have enough muscle to protect your hip and other bones. And uh, third, if you still go into operation, your body is uh, more resilient and you have a better chance to, to live. So if you ask me today for the elderly, what is the best recommendation for them is uh, start uh, lifting weight and, and try to activate all the muscle in your body as much as you can, because that's the best insurance for you to, to live longer, better. 
I love that. And the only thing I'll add to that is the cognitive decline as well. What we see when someone breaks their hips or they have that foosh injury that fall on outstretched hand and they crack the, whatever it is, the radia, the ulna or the femur or the hip is post-surgery um, because they don't have the muscle mass, as you were saying, the bone density, or just the cellular grit and resilience to come over the trauma of the surgery, the reparative surgery, we also see brain decline. Like I, I, I don't have the stat uh, just off the top of my head. I'll fact check it for the show notes, but it's some audacious number, like 40 to 50% of patients after a repair, after a fall and they've had surgery to you know, repair the ilia or the, you know, the pubic ramus or whatever was correct. Um, the, the amount of dementia that these patients endure is, is it's almost sickening. It's it, like 40 to 50%, let's say, uh, just from memory, that might be a little bit uh, lower than what it actually is. But we also want to be thinking about that. And to your point around strength training, of course, augments things like BDNF and other neurotrophic growth factors to make your brain kind of bigger and to preserve the, the gray and the white matter uh, of the brain as we age too. So it is uh, one of those, uh, you, know, you know, I know that you were working you know, with a skin company for like youth, but like really one of the secrets I think for youth is lifting heavy weights uh, for women and, and for men. So very, very well said there, Doc. Um, so I guess my last question in just our, our time together here, uh, you mentioned fitness trackers, which, um, I, uh, I have a couple of questions about that, but my, my, I guess my question here is what is really exciting you right now in the scientific literature? So you're sort of pairing, looking at running, like what's sort of the minimum viable product or minimum effective dose that can, you know, sort of optimize ferritin levels and creating kinase and cholesterol levels, et cetera. Is there anything in addition to that, or maybe that's it, uh, that's exciting you in the scientific literature and how might you be integrating that into uh, your algorithms and the inside tracker yeah. world? Yeah, I think that, uh, uh, let, let's start with fitness tracker. So um, I, I see the world as a, 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 if you look at inside tracker today, we have once in the lifetime test, which is the DNA because your DNA is not changing. So you're testing it once in the lifetime. Then you have the blood, which is, as I said before, liquid gold, amazing. The quality is uh, the best that you can uh, have ever, but you cannot test the, those 43 biomarkers every day. So it's something that happened, let's say every quarter to once a year. So basically I see the blood as a, a big, big blood test, as a big mountain, mountain of knowledge, mountain of excitement, mountain of uh, 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 scared. Uh, I, today I went to Quest Diagnostic to get tested. And uh, usually what happened the week before, yeah, I'm trying to eat better. I try to exercise better. I go, try to go to sleep better because it's like, it's like a test, like we're going and taking a test at school. And then you have the fitness tracker. What is nice about the fitness tracker data is coming every day. So basically every day you have, I call it a small hill. So you have the big mountain of the blood and then you have the small hill of the fitness tracker. You receive resting heart rate and the HRV and VO2 max and the deep sleep and REM sleep and total sleep. A lot of information. I would say that the, the value of the information is lower than the blood because the blood, as I said before, it's a liquid gold, 100 year of scientific research and all of that. But there is also a lot of value in the fitness tracker. And also you can correlate between a, a specific uh, data from a fitness tracker and the blood biomarkers. For, for example, you had a, a bad sleep, a night's sleep last night and you have a high a, a, a glucose. That's mean that uh, uh, most likely your glucose will continue to be high because uh, uh, it's well known that when you don't sleep well, uh, the controlling of your glucose is worse or you have high cortisol the same. So I think that uh, what, what is nice about the data from the fitness tracker, first, uh, it's uh, the cadence. It's come every day. Second is you can correlate it with the blood biomarkers and basically have a proxy. And third, you can um, gamify it and help the user to understand it and uh, receive some uh, 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 cool information about that. I can give you an example. Recently, we released from InstaTracker a feature that called post-exercise a, a pro tip. So basically you go for a run or you go for your weightlifting and because you have a fitness tracker and you record it, we know that you went to a run or you done a session of weightlifting. And then the question that I have, and I assume that all of us have, okay, how should I replenish my body? How much liquid should I drink? 
what should be uh, the, the treatment of the muscle after that? How much uh, stretching should I do? So what you said, okay, let's give you a tool that uh, you finish the exercise, you will receive a notification from InstaTracker. Uh, hey, Stephanie, you finish a, a 45 minutes run. Now uh, you need to consume uh, 20 grams of, uh, uh, of uh, a protein and uh, 10 grams of uh, carbohydrate. And that's because that was uh, the length of your exercise and based on your weight and based on uh, a lot of other things. And then we're giving you some alternative. That's uh, how can you consume that? So you can eat this food or that food and give you some recipe for that. Or alternatively, you can receive, hey, you finished a one and a half hour of a run. And uh, because of that, you need to drink two liters of uh, water. And uh, inside of that, you need uh, X amount of electrolyte. So I think that that's something that is uh, very current and useful for the user because it's very hard. Uh, I have a PhD, you are a doctor. And still, I, I'm not sure that, for, for sure for me, I don't know exactly what I should do. It's, it's hard. It's so, so many permutations. So giving a, a tool to explain to the user what should they do following exercise, because we exercise in order to live longer, better life, not in order to injure our body or to deprive our body from nutrients. So I think that tool like that uh, is a very nice one to, to have for a user. And we are trying to add more and more tools like that that uh, allow you to, uh, allow InstaTracker to be your guardian angel for health. So every time that you need to make a decision, we can tell you, hey, Stephanie, you need to go left or right. I really like the analogy of Waze, if you use Waze, the yeah, navigation you. system. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not only taking you from point A to point B. It's showing you alternative. It's taking into account the traffic. It's showing you if you need to stop for a fuel, it's showing you the cheapest uh, gas station. If you need to fuel your body, it's showing you the uh, restaurant around. But it doesn't uh, show you the healthy restaurant. So think about Waze, but uh, 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 with the mix of InstaTrack and telling you, hey, this is the best restaurant for you to stop right now, and this is the best dish for you, based on all the blood biomarker that you have and based on what you have done today. So those are the, uh, 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 the activity that uh, we are trying to lead right now. How can we incorporate uh, uh, InstaTracker into your life, like how the social media incorporate for you? Because the social media is giving you, it's wasting your time. Basically, you are looking at other people and they jealous that they are having fun while 90% of the time they're not having fun. They're only showing they're having fun when they're having fun. And also you are spending time, oh, I post something and why only 20 made the like and not 25? So you, you are really, so how can we make something like that addictive? How can we make InstaTracker addictive that every morning when you wake up, you, instead of looking at Facebook, you look at that. And every time after a run, you will receive a notification or look at Mr. Tracker. And every night before you go to sleep, or two hours before you go to sleep, you will uh, uh, look at Insta Tracker, and Insta Tracker will help you to get you ready to the sleep based on everything that you know about you. So that's what uh, uh, I'm uh, uh, trying to focus my brain and some of my team on. I have to tell you that gamification is the way. I think it is the way. So I, uh, I'm learning. Um, I'm one of the things I love to do sort of for pleasure is just learn different languages. And I'm trying to write a proficiency exam, um, well, to be able to write proficiency ex exam in French. And one of the things I'm doing is uh, this app, like, you know, no affiliation, but it's called Duolingo and it's like a game. And the more I, um, the more I play it, the more points I get and I'm on the leaderboard and I see that for Inside Tracker in the same way. And it is like, if you can make something competitive, <laughs> I yeah. am all in for that. So I'm really excited. Uh, really excited to see what uh, what comes out of that. And we have a special code for our better listeners uh, for, I think it's off the entire store. We'll make sure that that code is in our show notes. It'll just be a clickable link that you can uh, head over to and, and check out Inside Tracker. This has been such a lovely uh, conversation. I'm so excited already for the offerings that you have and the offerings that you will, that you are going to be rolling out um, in the future. So if people want to learn more about, uh, you know, just give a shout out to where people can find Inside Tracker, And if they, you know, want to find, follow you and more of your work, where they might be able to find you, let's say online. Yeah. So InstaTracker is very easy. InstaTracker.com. You can find us on social, even that I don't like social. So uh, LinkedIn and Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and so on. Um, specifically, specifically for me, because I'm uh, very uh, excited about longevity, 
We started a podcast called Longevity by Design, which we interview uh, all the leader scientists that are uh, working on uh, longevity. For example, David Sinclair was there. Uh, we'll have George Church uh, in a couple of weeks, if you heard about him. Uh, um, Andrew Wuberman uh, was interviewed by us, and uh, a lot of uh, other scientists that today might be less known, but very good scientists. So we already released 15 episodes, and we are releasing an episode every two weeks. Actually, I'm recording another one later today. And uh, the one later today, actually, exercise and uh, aging, uh, which is uh, very exciting. So I was very excited to hear you talking about uh, strength training. Um, so yeah, so um, you can find me in all of those places. You can also find me on social, even that I don't like social. So you can uh, uh, tweet, uh, tweet on, at me or uh, uh, LinkedIn at me and all of that. And I, I will try to respond to you. And yeah, my vision and my goal is to help people live longer, a better life. And uh, it sounds like, uh, Stephanie, that you and your audience have the same vision. So I will uh, be uh, very excited to work together with you guys and help you live longer, better life. I am so excited. And I will make sure that the Longevity by Design podcast will also have a link for that in the show notes as well. Thank you so much. We will talk very soon. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. All right. All right. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And I must give you the obligatory legal and medical disclaimer here. This podcast, Better with Dr. Stephanie, is for general information only. And the advice, recommendations we discuss do not replace medicine, chiropractic, or any other primary healthcare provider's advice, treatment, or care. In the consumption of this podcast, there is no doctor-patient relationship that has been formed and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are not intended to be a substitute for primary care, diagnosis, or treatment. In other words, guys, be smart about this. Take it with a grain of salt. Take this information to your primary healthcare provider and have a discussion with him or her to make the best choice that is for you. Remember, I am a doctor, but I am not your doctor. And these conversations are meant for educational purposes only. <laughs>